Hello, everybody. Hi. Oh, I'm <laughs> Sorry. Hello. Sorry. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Saints and Witches, where we have a very special guest. I'm Sarah. I'm a Catholic. I'm Liz. I'm a witch. And I'm Hannah, and I am also a witch. Yay. So we brought a Catholic on, and now we have a witch on. We got to keep it. Equality. <laughs> Separate but equal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not a good joke. <laughs> um, I went to the hair salon yesterday for the very first time in like years and years. Like I've never gone as a real live adult, you know, I just like cut my hair myself. So I went and I'm like, I'm having a great time. Like I'm chatting with my stylist. Like she's super nice. And I'm like, wow, like this is going amazing. And then I get to my car and I'm like, hmm, <laughs> I really overshared. <laughs> <laughs> like some of that stuff that I said, like unprompted, was like <laughs> quite personal. <laughs> That's how I feel with like every conversation that feels fantastic <laughs> while it's happening. I look back on it and it's like, wow, that was just all me airing my bullshit. <laughs> I should have kept Absolutely. that myself. I, yeah. I'm a massive oversharer. So I feel that same sort of embarrassment after every conversation I have with a stranger. Yes. It's horrible. No, it's so bad. And then you're like laying awake at night and you're like, oh my God, like I am just like a complete disgusting mess. <laughs> mm -hmm. I can never go back there I can never talk to that person <laughs> never, again never again and it took never me again. so much emotional effort to even like make that appointment <laughs> <laughs> and now I have to find a new salon not even of just course. a new stylist at the salon but a completely different <laughs> salon in like a different city <laughs> like I have to move <laughs> like, I have to get out of here I can't go back <laughs> yeah it's not good um also apologies if you hear a dog barking throughout this episode Same. um yeah my neighbors they're here like one weekend every three months and they have one of those like crusty little white dogs <laughs> <laughs> it's just like never I, shuts up I think I know what you're talking about because my grandparents <laughs> had the exact same kind yeah, of dog it's your grandparents dog is it it's oh exactly that's the kind of dog she's referencing oh my god their eyes are so crusty like yes. for what like why <laughs> are you allergic to the air you breathe <laughs> or is it just that like all dogs eyes are that crusty but you don't see it you because their fur yeah. isn't white I don't want to think about it it's gross it's don't weird. think about it yeah no anyway what are we even talking about today I don't know okay <laughs> Um, if you haven't Grace. listened to this this podcast before, we talk about saints and witches, and yeah, that's all you need to know. Um, we're talking about Greece today. Yes, yes, I love Greece. It's one of my favorite places. I've never been. <laughs> I haven't been anywhere, so I that's went to every Korea place once. Sarah and I talk about. So. I went to Korea once for like a week, and it was fun. But other than that, no, I don't go anywhere. Best I've been is California, so. Yeah, I haven't nice. even been that far. Uh, me either. I haven't been to California either. Yeah, went to Colorado once, but it was before weed was legal. Also, I was 10 years old, so. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I feel like that makes a difference. <laughs> They're independent facts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Both true. <laughs> we should start because I'm oversharing again.
Alrighty, so today I'm going to be in Greece, specifically 5th, 4th century BCE, because our lovely guest asked uh, if I could talk about a woman named Theoris of Limnos and Greek attitudes surrounding magic and the practice of magic around that time. So I'm going to dive in and pass it over to Hannah for things that she knows more about than I do. Um, which Sounds isn't good. much. It's not very much. <laughs> if only we did this every show where we just <laughs> passed it off to people who knew more than us. Oh my God. I wish we could do that. Yeah. We would never have nice. anything to say. <laughs> <laughs> we would just introduce ourselves and be like, and now for the expert. It would just be a panel of people that aren't us. I think that's ideal. I think we should do that. Mm-hmm. We just outsource all of our research to other people who've already done it. Sounds great to me. I'll pencil that in for the future. <laughs> Make a note. <laughs> All right. So to start, where the fuck is Greece? I had no idea. I actually had to Google this one. I thought I knew where it was. Turns out I really didn't. You know, whenever you think you know where something is and then you actually sit down and try to pinpoint it in your head and you're like, that's not connected to any landmass in my head. So that's been um, me with Poland my whole life. Yeah. All of like Poland is. Eastern Europe is just like kind of yes. a mess. One yeah. More. There's so many um, tiny little countries there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I'm worried that I don't know where Greece is. <laughs> <laughs> so will so. you please tell me? <laughs> Greece is uh, in southeastern Europe below Bulgaria and Albania. Uh, countries I forgot existed. Sorry, people who live in Bulgaria and Albania. Um, And it is to the east of Italy. In my head, I knew it was around Italy. But when I questioned myself on that, I could not tell you where it was in relation to Italy. Um, I just know that Italy looks like a boot. That's all I got. It does. (laughs) So you've got Italy, the Ionian Sea, and then next to that, you've got Greece. It's what separates the two of them. Yeah, over there. Yeah. Yonder. What a a picture I have painted. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, I see it. I see it. Uh, Importantly, I am in a period of time today before Greece belongs to the Romans. So attitudes about magic, how it's prosecuted, it changes over the centuries as Roman rule is introduced. So what I say today, it loses its applicability as time progresses. So just a note that this is not a blanket statement about all of attitudes in Greece about magic. It's just a very specific spot in time. Okay. Before the Romans ruined everything. Mm. Before the <laughs> Romans attacked. Another note is that I am in Athens specifically today. Uh, this is important because Athens, according to my sources, didn't have any laws on the books about the buying and selling of magical aids. Some people think that means Athens is lenient about magic, mostly because we have an account from Plato where a man named Mino says that any city-state other than Athens would prosecute Socrates, who he's arguing with simply for being a sorcerer and bewitching him Mm. um but we have an inscription from teos a different greek city that calls that harshness of law outside uh athens into question uh the inscription saying it isn't sorcery that's a punishable offense but formaga deleteria deleterious harmful drugs that are like the issue Mm. So, fine distinction. Okay. 
Uh, and beyond that, even though magic in and of itself might not be against the law in Athens, homicide and doing injury to a person are. And doing it by magic arguably falls under that category, considering things like poisonings are tried in high court. Mm-hmm. So really, Athens isn't entirely different from the places around it, to my understanding, but there, there are people who say it is. But to take a step back for a minute, uh, we've seen in past episodes that the definition of like harmful isn't the same from country to country or time period to time period. In some episodes, we've talked about how love spells count as doing injury to a person that you're like working with demons or whatever. Um, And that's not the case uh, in other episodes. Um, In some episodes, decreasing somebody's crop yield is doing harm to them. So Mm. it really changes like depending where we're at. Yeah. So I kind of want to talk what magic is okay and what magic isn't okay in Greece because harmful is very vague. Uh, One, by and large, folk healing is fine. We've seen it in the past that people of little means or little access turn to folk healers rather than to medical doctors. Uh, You've got that here too. Um, An article I read talks about how it wasn't uncommon for people to fall back on folk healers when physicians' solutions failed them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doctors and temple physicians were likely in competition over clients. And this is because folk healing was a successful and it was a legal practice. The article also goes on this small digression about how folk healing, as opposed to physical medicine, by rooting things in a supernatural or divine cause, actually ends up pointing out underlying personal tensions in a patient's life that they can get them to address, and also helps a patient better deal with the anxieties of being sick, Mm. Um, which I think still rings true today, why people would turn more to religion and folk healing than they would, you know, actual medicine. Yeah, and when you were saying, like, they turn to it after, like, the the real doctor, or the whatever, like, doctor doctors didn't help them at all. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like that's also still true today. Mm-hmm. Like, the doctors are, like, dismissive, or, like, mm-hmm. you don't have that. <laughs> like, lose weight, like, stuff like that, you <laughs> yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. It was really cool to read about it, and I had an excerpt, and I decided uh, not not to get into it, but it talked about how, you know, doctors are so focused on, like, the physical of we have to give you this medicine to do this, that they completely ignore the fact that, like, their patients are people who are stressed, and they're anxious, and have stuff going on in their lives, and they're terrified of what's going to happen to them, and that's why folk healing is so nice sometimes, because they're seen as, like, people where they get to participate in their own problems. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, so it was, it was a cool digression. Uh, anyway, in folk healing, you have Faramaga, and why didn't I practice this one? Um, why did I do the pronunciations 15 minutes before we decided <laughs> to film? Ipoidas um, is what I'm going to say. Uh, so, farmagat drugs, ipoidas, incantations. Mm-hmm. Um, there is more than that to folk healing, but those are some buzzwords for you. They, they crop up a lot. Um, we talked about how farmagat deleteria is illegal, harmful drugs, harmful magic, but quote from this article... What Athenian law was less equipped to deal with was whether magic was intended for healing or harmful purposes. Healers played a dangerous game in which they were free to offer magical services for healing, but if a patient took a turn for the worse, those same services could be used as evidence of intent to harm or murder, for which the penalty was death. Jeez Louise. 
So, so like every witchcraft trial ever. Killing mm. someone on purpose is obviously bad, but if your folk magic accidentally kills <laughs> or worsens the condition of someone you're trying to help, you're fucked. Mm. Um, also, give somebody a love potion and it kills them. They're like, you're fucked. Uh, the margin for error is like non-existent here. So you better make sure that you are a damn good uh, practitioner of magic because you will have a fun ass time in court trying to prove you did not mean to hurt somebody on purpose. Also, I feel like if someone just like dies of like other unrelated things and you like happened yeah so like yeah what if they had like cancer or something and they just died when you tried to give them a love potion you give them like Imagine. a lollipop or something you're like oh yeah. here feel better from your cancer or whatever mm-hmm. and they just <laughs> you're like oh shit have fun explaining Oopsie that daisy. it yeah. gave a more modern uh example <clears throat> in in the article i didn't write this down i do this all the time not write shit down and just talk about it and i vaguely i half remember it so i'm just making shit up mostly mm-hmm. um but it was talking about this more modern account of this doctor who gave a woman like this bark to chew on uh to relieve some ailment that she had but it turns out that he accidentally gave her nightshade oh my god deadly nightshade but like the question was like is did the doctor intentionally try to hurt her is the doctor a dumbass like how do we Um, prove that in court I don't think you should be able to be that much of a dumbass and still be a doctor. It's still at that point just negligence. Yeah. It's just yeah. negligence at that so point. They're like, how do you prove that in court that somebody is like that much of a dumbass or if they did it on purpose? Like, that's just such a hard thing. <laughs> and the lawyer, the prosecutor's like, look at him. <laughs> just look, just at, look at him. Look how stupid he is. <laughs> Your Honor, just to, observe him. <laughs> love to go to that trial. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. So that's legality. Um, now I want to talk magic and Greek culture in general, how commonplace it was because I love context. Um, I mentioned folk healing, but I read about everything from curse tablets to amulets to personal astrologers to oracles to religious cults. And then, of course, you have Greek deities. And for the finer points on these things, I'm going to pass it over to Hannah because she knows more and I didn't want to do the research. (laughs) Nice. I'm going to preface this before I get into it with the fact that I took one semester of of classics in college, so I thought I'd be okay with pronunciations, and then I looked at some of the words, and I was like, I'm just going to wing it. <laughs> so if I, if for anybody that speaks Greek that listens to this, I'm sorry. I'm so, this is going to be ugly. Greece doesn't listen to the podcast <laughs> yet, so it's fine. They might in the future, though, and then I have to walk around thinking, am I a dumbass? Am I stupid? Did I insult these people? Not as dumb anyway. as that doctor, so I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> um, most of the information that I have from, at least on the goddesses that I'm going to be talking about in some of the Greek, like, tragic heroes, is going to be from um, a website called Theoi, which is one that is basically like um, like an organization that puts together all of the Greek tragedies and the myth mythology and stuff so a lot of my information comes from there they're pretty reliable and I am going to start out with a pretty well-known goddess at least in the magic community Hecate um which by the way her name is the basis for the name like Kate uh oh. in case you didn't know that like Katie and stuff that'd be nice uh, I did Katie's <laughs> my middle name is Caitlin so it's fine <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway 
Hecate is the goddess of the moon, the crossroads, um, the night, ghosts, witchcraft, magic in general, and necromancy. Mm. Um, she is most often noted to be the daughter of the titans Perseus. I think it's Perseus and Asteria, which is the goddess of the stars, I believe. Um, and when she was born, she actually had power over the heavens, the earth, and the sea. So I put in parentheses, she's a boss, boss bitch. We love it. <laughs> she does it all. Um, and even though she was a Titan by like parentage and stuff, she still allied herself with the Olympians in the Titanomachy. Um, so she was on the side of like Zeus and Poseidon during the battle of the Titans and stuff. Um, she's also a source associated with transformation, which is an important part of magic, witchcraft, etc. Um, and this can be seen in the story of Queen Hecabe, who, um, after the fall of Troy, was turned into a black dog. Mm-hmm. And um, there's also a story involving her about a witch named, uh, it's spelled like Gale, but I don't know how to pronounce it in Greek. And um, uh, possibly it's either this witch or a midwife who was turned into a polecat by a different goddess. And then Hecate adopted her. So that's why she's often depicted with a black dog and a polecat. She adopted a person? Yeah, she adopted them as animals. They were animals. (laughs) Problematic. Let's let's cancel her. Problematic queen. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know what? She she saved them. I'm pretty sure they were going to die otherwise. And that's why she took them in. Mm. Because... Um, she is also associated with goddesses like Persephone and Artemis, and sometimes she is like they're like all one goddess, but more often three in one situation. I know about those. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes they're just all like people are like, well, they came from the same goddess and they just got split up. And like, I don't I don't understand how that happens. Um, but I'm just rolling with it. All right. Hecate is her own thing. Anyway. Um, Hecate's uh, worship is mostly in states like Athens, but she's also worshipped in Thrace, which is near Turkey, Um, not necessarily Greek, though they battled the Greeks, and Argos. And these places where she is worshipped, they would most most often than not leave offerings at the crossroads to ward off evil. That was Hecate's purpose in society was to ward off evil from people and make sure that like nothing bad was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's also what is known as a Chthonic deity, which is basically an underworld deity because of her association with Persephone and Hades after Hades kidnapped Persephone. And I'm kidnapped because their story saying that she went willingly, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, she is worshipped as like the goddess of all magic. All of the magic was born from her, including the other goddesses and gods of magic. And she was related to the warding off of evil and plagues and stuff. Related to Hecate is her sometimes daughter, sometimes not daughter, Circe. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of Circe. Yeah, the Odyssey. She turned all those dudes into pigs. Yeah. We respect that. (laughs) We love to see it. She's a queen. All right. She is one of the most interesting characters in the Odyssey, and I don't think she gets enough screen time. Yeah, I agree. Um, But essentially, she is the goddess of sorcery and witchcraft, which are the same depending on who you ask, but in Greek tradition, they're different. She was also skilled in transmutation, illusion, and necromancy, which is something that shows up in the Odyssey when she raises the dead for Odysseus to talk to. Just casually. And yeah, just just casually, she's raising people from the dead and turning men into pigs. 
I remember a thing about her that actually like I still think about like probably once a week is that she never slept and I was just thinking about like how miserable that would be and how lonely yeah you know yeah it sounds like I can't I can't go without sleep all right I can't (laughs) well you're not supposed to (laughs) I can but but I'm manic (laughs) but like even even for like a goddess imagine just like never getting to sleep that sounds so horrible yeah it sounds awful anyway the 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 whole point is that she um sometimes is um the daughter of Hecate depending on the source Uh, But she's also the daughter of Helios by an ocean nymph. And it's thought that her magic passed from her mother's lineage, but there's no real proof of where it came from. But it does pass down the female line because her brother gave birth, or not, he didn't give birth, but his wife (laughs) gave birth, okay? His brother, her brother had a daughter named Medea, who is another famous figure in Greek mythology. Mm -hmm. And she... So she's Cersei's niece. Cersei has magic. Medea has the ability to use magic. And so does Cersei's sister, Pasiphae, I think is how you pronounce her name. Oh, she was the one who fucked the bull, right? Yep. Yep. The Minotaur. Yep. It's, Making... See, it's all connected. Yep. Greek mythology mm-hmm. is everybody's related. Everything is connected. Medea is the daughter of Cersei's brother, like we said. And she was pretty much um, seduced by Jason, the hero Jason, from the Argos, because he petitioned Aphrodite, petitioned Aphrodite to make her fall in love with him so he could steal the golden fleece. Right. From yeah. her father. He, her father is the one that had it. So in the process of stealing the golden fleece and Medea and Jason romantically rushing off together on the Argos, they kill somebody. They kill this prince. I can't remember his name. I didn't write it down because I don't think he was that important. Um, they stopped at Circe's Island while they were fleeing from Medea's father, who is Cersei's brother. And Cersei um, cleansed them of what is essentially the sin of murdering this person, this prince. And But Cersei didn't know why she was cleansing them, which speaks to uh, like the uh, transformation aspect of Cersei's magic, in my opinion. Imagine asking for a cleansing and being really sketch on yeah, why you need she, it. Okay, <laughs> if, if anybody, if either of you or anybody listening has ever read Cersei by Madeline Miller, it's kind of like a, a third person limited, or maybe first person, I can't remember, account account of like what Cersei went through through her life Mm. and there's one point where she like is with Medea and Jason and they were being really shifty about why (laughs) they wanted her to cleanse them and then and and then afterward they tell her yeah we killed a guy so she freaks the fuck out and is like get the hell off of my island get out of here I don't want to see you again I'm not helping you anymore leave so she she kicks them out when she figures out that they are a murderer they're murderers they've killed somebody um that's awkward so yeah she (laughs) so she's basically just like she's not as bad as people make her out to be yeah she turned a couple guys into pigs and she might have killed a couple people wouldn't but also men you know i do know (laughs) if a bunch of people showed up a bunch of dudes a bunch of random dudes just jumped up onto my island from their boat i too would turn them into pigs Honestly. I would do my best. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but we all know how the Odyssey ends. Or at least I think most of us do. In which Odysseus escapes, goes home. Um, but what a lot of people either don't remember or don't pay attention to is that Odysseus and Circe have a kid together. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I knew they fucked, but I didn't remember yeah, that they no, had. No, they had. I, it says sources say they had like three kids together, and I don't know how that works because in most accounts he dies very soon after he 
comes back to uh, his home or whatever. I thought but... you were going to end that mid-sentence. <laughs> guys, right after, just... Imagine, imagine some, some Black Widow shit right there. I believe oh, no. it. Honestly. But yeah, they had a kid together, and I'm pretty sure the magic of, like, that family was passed down through, uh, I think it's Telegonus is his name, passed mm-hmm. down through his line as well. Yeah. Um, this all circles back to Cersei's magic and how it's different from Hecate's magic and gods in general. Most gods' magic is granted to them either after like they do something great or um, like at, when Poseidon and Zeus and all them, they divvied up power after the battle with the Titans or they just have it when they're born. Cersei's different because her magic is that of like pharmakia, I think is how it's pronounced. And if it's not I tried really hard, Um, but essentially she, her magic is closer to what our interpretations of modern witchcraft is and that in that she has to use outside resources to aid her in her magic. It's not as innate or powerful as regular gods. Um, Mm. She was gifted with the ability to work with these materials, whereas other gods can't. Usually when these gods mess with these herbs that she uses, they die. They're not allowed to use them. And that's why a lot of the other gods shun her. And that's why she got kicked off of the freaking. Oh no, they can't do something she can do. So they shun her. She was different. (laughs) So she, she got sent to an Island at the edge of the world because she's different. Happens Um, to the best of us. To the best of us. Yes. Um, But because her magic worked differently from other gods, um, she was stigmatized in by the gods and also in myth in general by people. Um, so that's why like herbs and stuff may be seen as like not as good as like just praying to Zeus or whatever. Be careful about that. He'll yeah. fuck everybody you know. If you kill somebody, you're a goner. You're gonna get kicked off the island like like Cersei. <laughs> Imagine. Um, Zeus is so scary to me. I cannot think of like a scarier mythological figure. Dude, he's than... a, he's just the fact an absolute he just dude, shows bro. up as like random animals and as rain, things. I would have so many trust issues. <laughs> no, I, I'm pr- I can't remember if it was Hercules was born what was um conceived this way but one in one of the stories zeus turns himself into a golden shower a golden shower is what it says in the text and goes into this woman's tower and impregnates her as a golden shower like yeah. a, like urine anything i don't know if it means urine or not but that's the direct translation and i was like in class when i read that and i was like what does this mean how yeah wow this is the original fuck boy yes Mm -hmm. but anyway so cersei's magic is different she has to use stuff to do it it's not innate in her as much as it is the other gods but magic itself was as liz said pretty common in ancient greece and not limited to a particular class at all it was utilized by the rich by the poor by anyone who thought it could be of service to them. Um, And not just used by individuals either. It was also used by groups. Towns would use um, sacrifices and inscriptions and stuff to protect their towns from disaster or to rid them of plagues. And because it wasn't just limited to peasants, um, it was prevalent in the fact that there were many different types of magic. And now is where we We uh, struggle. Yeah, there's so many pronunciations that I didn't practice. It's just okay. throw yourself into it. I'm just going to do it. Yeah. Um, because uh, the good and the bad were both part of the use of magic. So like Liz mentioned, there were the evil prayers or incantations, which 
I'm not going to try to pronounce. It starts with an E. Ethoidus. Um, and then you have what are called, I think it's catadesmoi, which are metal sheets or bit of pottery and sometimes um, even papyrus inscribed with curses. So those are essentially curse tablets, which can be used to cause harm more often than not, um, and which are like prosecutable because they're bad magic. Yeah. Um, and then you have what Circe uses in many of the myths, which is the pharmaca which is the American pronunciation. I'm not going to try to pronounce it like Liz. I can't do that. My tongue doesn't work that way. (laughs) (laughs) Waka waka. But those are essentially herbs or poisons that can be used good or bad. They're like the true neutral. Um, It depends on the hand that uses them, whether they're good or bad. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh yeah. And I wanted to talk a little bit more about the ritualistic sacrifice. Um, That's pharmacos, which is not the same as pharmaca. That is when they ritually sacrifice a human as um a scapegoat for like natural disasters plagues etc um and they usually used slaves cripples and criminals and there are sources that say that they're killed but most of the modern sources say instead that they are fed well or beaten depending on who they are or both <laughs> they push me through the buffets yeah. <laughs> <laughs> beat the shit out of me in the parking yeah. lot <laughs> It's very conflicting. (laughs) You just get like curb stomped in the parking lot of of an old country buffet. Imagine. (laughs) Golden Um, Corral. (laughs) About King Juan, just Chinese buffet. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. Sorry, that's so funny. Oh my god. <clears throat> oh, sorry. Anywho, okay. proceed. It's okay. Um, depending on the situation, if it's like a famine or a natural disaster, they'll either kill the person after they feed or beat them, or they'll just banish <laughs> them. Okay. It depends on where you are and what's going on at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's pretty much it for the context. It just depends on where you are in Greece as to how you're being uh, persecuted or not for whatever kind of magic you're using. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it comes down to um, everybody's worshiping Hecate, but not Circe because they think she's a bitch. And magic is very prevalent in pretty much all aspects of society, even in a community method of protecting their towns. So yeah, that's that's it. So uh, I'm going to take it back from here and transition fully into our girl of the day, Theoris of Lemnos, a pharmakis or a witch who lives in Athens in the fourth century BCE, uh, but who is originally from Lemnos, an island off the eastern coast of Greece. Okay. While Theoris is called the pharmakis uh, by this guy named Demosthenes in a court speech against Aristogeiton one complete guess on how the fuck that's said. Mm. Um, no, no hit online. No, no how clue. The fuck to say that. No, I, Not, I get no the shit clue. out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> every every time I found it, it was different. Uh, different, and everyone said it like they were an authority. So Aristogeiton, mm-hmm. I'm an authority. That's how the fuck it said. Deal with it. Okay. Yep. Um, though she's called the Phanomachis by him in that speech, Theoris is called a priestess, Eria, by Plutarch about 400 years later, and a prophet or prophetess or matis by Philochorus, contemporary to Demosthenes. Okay. Demosthenes' speeches, for all intents and purposes, are primary source today. Plutarch and Philochorus writing based on his speech. 
uh, but their accounts of who Theoris is and what she did differ because the section of Demosthenes' speech that concerns Theoris is ridiculously short, mm-hmm. and Theoris is an offhand mention in it at best. You yeah <laughs> women they don't women matter. being pushed to the side what? <laughs> i'm surprised she got named at all fam Honestly. so yeah uh, to piece together some semblance of her story at all you have to like reverse construct it from fucking context clues so uh it, it's pretty much like one of those worksheets you used to get i don't know if you used to get them that uh it's like if bill is taller than mark and mark is oh. taller than simon and you remember those long ass worksheets? Word problems in math yeah. no mm. no thank yeah. you the worst it's, it's essentially a fucking historical version of one of those mm. no. yeah the the thing that sucks is there's not a correct answer because we don't oh, have no. enough information so Plutarch and Philochorus come to different conclusions about what the answer is and every goddamn modern day historian does too I swear to god I get to an article and I'm like finally somebody who has the answer and I pick up another article and I'm like finally somebody who has the answer oh wait they don't match the last person I read picks up another article this also doesn't match the last <laughs> fucking read That's well Greeks in general, like the Greek mythology, ancient Greek study in general, nothing is confirmed. You can't find the same answer for anything. But everybody talks like they're a fucking authority. So I'm going in knowing nothing. And when I read the article, I'm like, this person knows everything. And then I hit somebody else. I'm like, why the fuck are they contradicting each other? This doesn't make any goddamn sense. Because it's a dick measuring competition. It Mm. is. That's all it is. Some of them are women, unfortunately, as we're going to find out um, today. I read an article by a man named Derek Collins, which is the whitest name I've ever come across. I have a cousin named Derek. (laughs) Derek Collins that breaks everything down in a way that makes general sense to me. Um, And while I read another article in some book chapters by a woman named Esther Eidenow that disagree with Collins, they don't really offer anything of like substance in his theories places. They're just like a bunch of criticism and like questions. And it's like, I can't do anything with that. So Mm. um, sorry, Esther, I have to say how Collins breaks it down. So basically, she's like, I'm going to say you're wrong, but I'm not going to provide any evidence to say why you're wrong. That, that's essentially, Colin says this, but why is it this way? And offer, just a series of questions. Offer an alternative solution, woman. <laughs> exactly. Don't just right. list questions of like, what ifs. It's like, tell me definitively why he is incorrect with proof, and then I will switch over to your side. Okay? Esther. Uh, that works. Tighten Get up, Esther. Yep. Get, Get it together. together. Come on, lady. Uh, so how Collins breaks it down first, Demosthenes' speech, where it concerns Theoris reads, and you can pull this from anywhere because his speeches are available online for free. Quote, it was this brother, I pass over the other facts, who got possession of the drugs and charms from the servant of Theoris of Limnos, the filthy sorceress whom you put to death on that account with all her family. She gave information against her mistress, and this rascal has had children by her, and with her help he plays juggling tricks and professes to cure fits, being himself subject to fits of wickedness of every kind. So this is the man who will beg him off, this poisoner, this public pest who 
any man would ban at sight as an evil omen rather than choose to accost him and who has pronounced himself worthy of death by bringing such an action. Um, so like I said, Bayars is a passing mention in this. She, she barely features. Yeah. Um, they say her name once. Wow. <laughs> yeah, she barely features. Mm -hmm. uh, but your context here, which Collins gives, is that a man named Aristogeiton is on trial. Um, I didn't really care why. I, the man's on trial. That's all I need to know. He, brought, he got himself there on purpose. I don't care. Mm. Um, the prosecutor is essentially throwing shades, saying that Aristogeiton doesn't have any family to speak on his behalf because Aristogeiton's dad was executed as a criminal and his brother, uh, guess here, you know, most referenced in this speech that's who's being talked about the entire time, um, brought Aristogeiton to court once himself and also, which is what this entire speech is talking about, here is a bunch of shitty stuff that you nomos has done. So mm -hmm. none of you better trust a goddamn word this asshole says sitting there trying to suddenly be a good character witness for his brother. Mm. Okay. So, so the family is all kinds of fucked up. It's yeah. all kinds of fucked up. But yeah, she is a passing mention in a shade in, thrown yeah. at a character witness in a different guy's trial so she's just so many levels of like completely irrelevant to what's going on right now she, mm. she's like not even hardly related to what's happening no so it's surprising we know about her at all yeah just, That's thank crazy. you guy for your weird tangent i guess yeah <laughs> he just he was like he loved to hear himself talk mm. and he was True. like i'm gonna mention this this witch that had nothing to do with anything that's happening right now. Nope. <laughs> she had barely anything to do with this. Yeah, we're, we're just going to throw it out there. Mm -hmm. um, so a note, uh, among Demosthenes' speeches are pseudo-Demosthenic speeches, <clears throat> meaning not really his, but got included in his stuff and passed off at his. And I say, uh, because thank you, Derek, for not fucking explaining <laughs> that. Wow, you Derek. Even mean, you dude. Like, Expects you to know what that fancy word means. He just throws it in there and he's like, and uh, Plutarch references the pseudo Demosthenic text. I'm like, what the fuck does this mean, sir? What do you mean? Context. Context. Did the man, did the man say it or did he not say it? I don't know because he introduces the whole Aristogiton thing as being like Demosthenes' thing and then he just starts calling it pseudo Demosthenic. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Did we mm. suddenly get another text? Um, so I had to Google that, and it turns out that there are several texts amongst this guy's many speeches that they think are fake speeches being passed off by him, either because he was, like, too young to have been, like, an orator at that point, no way he could have done it, or in the case of Against Aristogeiton, um, there are two speeches. I said this was Aristogeiton 1, there's Aristogeiton 1 and 2. They're going to only wow. be, like, one speech for the court case like right you could only say like this one big speech okay um, so by default one of them has to be has to be false fake. one mm. of them can't be his uh what the fuck most argue that the second one is false so i'm talking about the first one they argue that the second one is false but collins offhand like i said calls aristocide one pseudo demosthenic so i have to assume that he is of the camp that believes this section concerning theoris was written down by some unnamed dude and passed off with demosthenes's credibility mm -hmm. He's, okay. he, he has to think that this one is 
fake. Uh, so even this primary source, we cannot 100% trust to be accurate because we can't 100% say for certain if Demosthenes even wrote it. So everything about Theoris you're going to find is just a whole whole bunch of, eh, maybe. <laughs> Same with my saint, so don't even Possibly. worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> you would think for a culture that wrote everything down, they'd be a little more fucking specific. They cared a lot more about these guys fighting in court over political stuff than they did like anything else. So yeah, yeah everything yeah. else kind of fell by the wayside. Yep. <laughs> Anywho, uh, how do Plutarch and Philochorus get other words for Theoris when the speech calls her a witch and has so little to say about her in general? Uh, well, Collins theorizes that Philochorus uses the word prophet, prophetess, matis, because he's conflating photomachiris and prophets, uh, who Plato writes, pedal sacrifices and incantations. So like the line between prophet and witch may not have been entirely clear. Hannah talked about like how much magic there was in society. So like the delineations weren't always so certain between things. Yeah. So that, that could have just been a simple matter of he just chose a different word. Also, right. Plato hated people that used magic, so he was not a fan. He was he wanted, he wanted to He wanted to ban the sale of, like, tablets and stuff. I can't remember. But I remember reading that he wanted to ban the sale of, like, cursed tablets and stuff. Yeah, he all. had a very particular idea of, like, what kind of magic he thought was okay yeah. and what kind of magic he didn't think was fine and pretty much anything that was like for sale for profit was yeah. oh yeah and I for mean, harm it's was bad bullshit. intentions if you're trying to sell something yeah but if you're mm. like actually trying to like heal yeah. people then that's like different to him he he was very he was, strict he about told, what magic he told okay. that line in a very specific manner <laughs> yeah so uh plato's where we get that whole thing about about prophets um Anywho, as for Plutarch, who calls Theoris a priestess, Collins gives a plausible explanation for why Plutarch made this fuck up. And Collins says that it is a fuck up because priestesses were aligned with cults in specific places or temples. And there is zero mention of this in Theoris's case. Plutarch can't even name which deity she's affiliated with, where in other places in his writing, he always like has that right there, that information ready at hand. So... Um, it's very odd that he doesn't have it here. Mm -hmm. um, Colin's explanation is that there is uh, a priestess who is convicted elsewhere in Demosthenes' speeches and even briefer accounts than Theoris's, and it's a woman named Ninon or Ninos who makes love potions. Mm -hmm. um, so Plutarch may have just accidentally like mashed up the two ladies. <laughs> women don't matter. As one does. As one yeah. does. And just squish them together. It's kind of... It, I didn't write this down, but it reminded me of the whole uh, Mary Magdalene thing where it's like, yes. there can't be multiple women in the Bible. They have to be the same They woman. have to be all one yep. person. There's exactly. no way that Jesus associated with so many women. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. So this very much felt like a, there's too many women in this these speeches <laughs> that some of them got to be the same woman. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They're not. Um, they're clearly not. Uh, now to 
further pull apart this whole clusterfuck of a story using what little info we have, we have to strap on our deductive reasoning caps. Um, Collins spends a lot of his article trying to piece together who Theoris is and what her crime even is, because we know that in Athens, they are just executing people and their whole families for being witches. Like, that's not a thing. Mm-hmm. Um so Collins reconstructs Theoris's life and crimes based on what we get of her and what he says we know of Athens and Greece. And if we follow his theories, I'm not saying he's right. He justifies himself contradicting himself a fuck ton. Um, but he's also the only person who like lays out his thoughts in a nice, clear manner and tries to support them with facts. So mm-hmm. he says Theoris has to have murdered an Athenian citizen with Formica. Why? One, because drugs and incantations are specifically referenced in connection to her faith. Why the fuck would it have been brought up in the speech if it wasn't important? Yeah. Two, uh, because Theoris and her entire family are killed, uh, like, it's unlikely she committed a small infraction, and it's very unlikely she killed a slave or a foreigner because, like, the steepest punishment there should have been, like, exile. Mm. So... It's like, based on all of these factors, uh, we can say it's probably an Athenian citizen who got hurt. It was probably murder, and the drugs and incantations were probably involved. Okay, interesting. So that's how he reverse reconstructs everything. Yeah. Only he does it in, like, 17 pages, and I did it (laughs) in, like, four sentences. So Why do it in a whole chapter when you can do it on a page? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Because I want to sound important. And he goes on a random digression about her status as a citizen. And it's like, it really, if she killed an Athenian citizen, who she is as a citizen doesn't even fucking matter. Yeah. It genuinely does not matter if she's a slave or if she's a foreigner or if she's a citizen. Like, if she killed a citizen, it's the same fucking punishment as far as I'm concerned. Um, so that was a bunch of wasted page space that put me <laughs> to sleep. Anywho. Uh, there are legal grounds to execute Theoris and her family if she murdered an Athenian citizen, meaning this theory does make sense with the facts given. But Philochorus says Theoris' sentence isn't murder, but impiety, a sabia. Now, this could be because he assumes, based on Demosthenes' speech, that Theoris' servant isn't acting as like a go-between for Eunumos and Theoris, um, but instead that Theoris taught her servants, slaves in some sources, deadly magic, mm. and that Unumos in turn is learning it from them. So okay. it's very different from her being a witch and then him getting stuff from a go-between to her indoctrinating a fuck ton of people and then him also kind of getting indoctrinated into that. Like it, it's okay. very demonized in that version. Okay, because she's yes. like, oh, you, you people <clears throat> like come to me. I am like the source of magic or whatever It is fuck. a cult. Sounds yeah. like a cult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and... Philochorus could think he calls her a prophet like those people who peddle sacrifices and incantations that she believes or advertises that she has power over the gods which we have no evidence of but you know who knows um impiety asibia is a crime like a 
big fucking deal crime punished with execution or exile and it's really murky in what it means and it covers a really wide range of stuff which is why it's handy to level at people you hate and all those political like battles we keep talking about in the courts socrates was charged with impiety which i didn't know I didn't know that either. I think I've heard that, but I didn't know what the context was. Yeah, um, I, I can't remember specifically how it's phrased, uh, because like I just said, impiety covers a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but it has specifically to do with uh, like him not believing in like the city's gods or something, yeah. or not so, believing in them correctly. Yeah, it's like you think you're better than the gods. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what what sort of things fall underneath this category, uh, you know, beyond like the whole God thing, um, like just believing in them, saying your magic influences and or controls the gods or outweighs their powers, uh, prosecutable as impiety. And uh, I read a lot of things where even saying like you have the power to like draw down the moon or like if you pay me, then I can sway this god or goddess to do this thing for you. That's saying that you have powers as great as uh, or like greater than the gods or you have influence over them. And that should not be a thing. You should not be able to influence the gods to do what you want with magic. Yeah, it makes sense. Um as someone that works with the the Greek gods, I do. You don't. You can't tell them what to do. You can ask, and they might help yeah. you or not. The, but assuming you have um, any power over what they do, that's like a big no no. Like, don't do that. They will smite you. Zeus yeah. is gonna give you a golden shower. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> Watch out. Watch out for the golden shower. I the imagine that in. Shower. Christianity there would be something similar of like you ask God to do something for you you don't tell God to do something for you yeah <laughs> yeah generally that would be the wrong attitude <laughs> that would be incorrect I'm gonna tell yes. God to save your grandmother and he will listen right pay yeah. me five hundred dollars <laughs> exactly no exactly yeah that's it reminds not okay. me of those like evangelical healers you know mm-hmm Boy do, I know. <laughs> Boy, do I know about them. <laughs> yeah, no. Anyway, that is impiety. Um, same doing damage to or stealing from existing temples or sacred properties. Impiety, having unorthodox views about the gods, which is kind of where like Socrates fell into. Impiety, or even starting up a cult without permission was uh impiety which i think it's really funny that there were permissible cults <laughs> like you can have a cult it's fine like we said you could the saints yep. cults like before they became saints like the cult of mm -hmm. like saint dimphna and stuff like that like those were unofficial at some point just like people hanging out in the woods you know the word cult to me i think is just what's so funny about it is sometimes cult is just so terrifying and sometimes cult is just like oh yeah these these people over there are doing this thing it's like sanctioned it's fine <laughs> yeah, yeah like, they're just hanging out chatting about their god and how cool they are yeah it's just <laughs> like those grandmas that have their like little rosary group on tuesday nights yes. like they're a cult <laughs> they're a cool cult they're yeah. fun. the cool version <laughs> <laughs> they're legit <laughs> we didn't come up with different words to distinguish these groups of people they're all cults you yeah, figure right. it out yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh because we don't have any more information on theoris uh 
that Beach Peace and Offhand mentioned in a dude's story. We're never going to know for certain why she was killed, but the two reigning theories, not the only theories, but the reigning theories, are that she and her family are executed for Theoris killing an Athenian citizen with Pharmaga, or that she and her family are executed for her impiety. Either way, definitely not for just being a magic practitioner. And mm. that is the story of Theoris of Lemnos. Okay. It's always fascinating to me to learn like all about like a like a culture that is so different from like America obviously but like even the European cultures that we've seen Mm -hmm. it's just cool to hear like oh this is okay but this you will be murdered for (laughs) I would be so scared to do magic in their culture though it's like it's everywhere but if you do the wrong magic we'll kill you (laughs) good luck figuring out what to do yeah it's like Um, but which magic is the right magic and they're like you'll know when you do the wrong magic (laughs) (laughs) because you will be dead (laughs) yeah like what if you're like oh I made extra tea let me give some to my neighbor and then she randomly has a heart attack she's allergic (laughs) to it and you didn't know because they don't know how allergies work right Um, I mean I'm pretty sure I remember reading that like the Greeks used to drink their own urine so hmm if I remember, if I'm remembering that right, I'm pretty sure that's a thing. There's a lot of urine. Urine comes so up in this urine. show too much. Honestly, too much. It's a bit excessive. It is. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I didn't think when we started this show that there would be quite so much urine. <laughs> a little urine, sure. <laughs> but, but this much. Uncalled it's becoming for. a problem. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit much. That was good. I liked all of it. There was especially, nothing I disliked. Especially the golden maybe, shower. Maybe the golden shower. I loved the golden shower. That was my favorite part. Oh my god. I don't know why favorite. I remembered that off the top of my head. I'm gonna Someone's... take that sound bite. <laughs> I was just gonna say that. Somebody out there on the internet is gonna take that and run with it, but it's gonna be you. It will be. You're gonna find it on TikTok with no explanation. <laughs> I love a golden shower. No. (sighs) Great job. Now I have to go and I'm not prepared. So we don't have a ton of Greek Roman Catholic saints because Greece is part of the Eastern Orthodox Church. Um, So the saints we do have are really, really early in church history. And this saint, Saint Philomena, is one of those early ones. This story is like part of the same tradition, like early church virgin martyr story tradition, um, like St. Margaret of Antioch and St. Catherine of Alexandria. And it has like a ton of similarities to the story of St. Dymphna um, and St. Christopher, actually. It's complicated and controversial, which is like why I like it. That's Mm. what we're here for. Yes. Yeah, that's us. Give me all of the hot juicy (laughs) gossip. Mm -hmm. The tea, I will spill it. Um, As for my sources, I tried to be proactive this time and I found lots of scholarly articles that seemed like they would be helpful, but they were all hiding behind paywalls. That is the worst. Like $25 a piece. (laughs) For one single article and I reached out to the authors 
and I heard nothing but crickets. Uh, so thanks a lot for that. I'm not bitter at all. Sometimes I can get lucky and still use my like SIU email address to get onto like databases and stuff. But sometimes the articles aren't on them. So you're just like screwed. Um, anyway, so what I did was I painstakingly Google translated a bunch oh, of no. <laughs> Italian sources. Italian. I had a lot of fun with ancient like Greek this time <laughs> where I'm, I had to pull out the Greek keyboard and like match it up because they were PDF so I couldn't like <laughs> highlight anything. So I'm like, that looks like this letter. Just so a line bad. at a time. It's not even oh the same gosh. alphabet. It's not. <laughs> oh, that's oh really no. bad. Um, so we begin on May 24th, 1802 in the Roman catacombs of Priscilla or Priscilla. I heard it pronounced both ways. Um, these catacombs were built in Roman times on the land of a noblewoman named Priscilla, who later became a saint. If we ever get Ballard on the podcast, I'll probably talk about Priscilla. Um, anyway, she was obviously a Christian, and she wanted a place where she and her family and later other Christians in Rome um, could be buried in consecrated ground because these were not safe times for Christians in Rome, um, and they couldn't just be buried anywhere. Like, they would be dug up and, like, disposed They needed a of. fancy hole. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Please don't say that. <laughs> um, oh Fancy hole. Please don't let that be the title. <laughs> um, what, what, what was I doing? Okay, so these catacombs, they run underneath that estate and they take up, I think I read like five square miles. So it's like not a small area. Mm -mm. Um, and the way that the tombs in the catacombs are set up, it's like very claustrophobic. And each little tomb is like bricked off with these terracotta tiles and then covered over with plaster. So it took a long time to uncover Jeez. all of the individual tombs. Well, that was the idea to keep them secret. Um, so they wouldn't be disturbed. And we said, fuck that. <laughs> In comes the church. <laughs> They're like, we run shit now. All of this is ours. Um, so on May 24th, 1802, the catacombs are in the process of being cleaned when maintenance workers uncover a previously undiscovered tomb. Most of the tombs had already been uncovered and the remains had been moved in order to preserve them. But this one is new. So they get all the plaster off of the terracotta tiles and they find that the tiles are covered with these rough inscriptions. There are some drawings of arrows, there's a lily, there's a flame, and there's an anchor. And there are letters spread across three different tiles that read Lumina Paxte Cumfi, which is nonsense. <laughs> um, but when they rearrange the tiles, it reads Pax Tecum Philomena or peace be to you, Philomena. Um, so Philomena is the Roman variant of the Greek name, meaning like strength in love or powerful love or something like that. So they assumed that the tiles had been like misplaced, probably either in the dark or by like a maintenance worker who couldn't read. Um, Somebody goes <laughs> down there with this very important job, drops all like, of them. <laughs> I can't read. Fuck. <laughs> Slap them on there. Just staring for like 15 minutes. <laughs> what do I do? 
<laughs> nobody will come down here nobody will know nobody right. will nobody know. will know i'm gonna cover it in plaster it's fine how will they know they're gonna know <laughs> they're gonna know yeah they found it um so they uh, go ahead and open up the tomb and inside is the body of a young woman the bones are later estimated to be those of a 13 to a 15 year old girl most of the bones are unbroken but the skull is fractured and along with the skeleton, they find a file containing a dried substance, which is later identified as blood. So all of these elements lead people to believe that this is the tomb of a martyr. The fact that she's buried with a vial of blood, that her skull is fractured, that her tomb has these inscriptions of like a flame and an anchor. All of these things lead church officials to assume that she's a martyr. Nowadays, we wouldn't jump to that conclusion, but back in 1802, they did. Um, so that that's like a big controversy surrounding this saint is that like initial assumption, which we no longer feel comfortable making. Um, according to the doctors and the archaeologists that examined the skeleton, it dated to no later than 300 AD. So it was concluded that this girl, maybe with a Greek name that translated to Philomena, probably lived in Greece um, in the second century and had been a martyr during the reign of Emperor Diocletian, and that her relics had been translated from Greece to Rome at some point, uh, probably around the same time as the relics of other early martyrs and some of the apostles. So these are like all the conclusions that they jumped to about her based on like the dating of the skeleton. In 1805, Philomena's relics were translated from Rome to <sighs> Muniano del Cardinale, just to guess. And the translation and the ensuing events were recorded in one of the Latin sources that I read, which was written by a priest from Muniano, who was the one to actually travel to Rome and bring the relics back to his church. Um, he writes that he didn't initially want to do this. He didn't understand why he was being asked to do this. Um, who is this Philomena, etc.? But as the time got closer when he was going to make the trip, he writes that he felt the name Philomena engraved on his heart. And by the time he set off on the journey, he felt that he was doing something important, although he didn't really understand why he felt that. So he gets to Rome and he's staying in the same building as the relics. And he writes that whenever he went in the room where the relics were, he felt a very sweet invisible company like those are his words and this worries him um it's <laughs> all good things <laughs> worry religious people <laughs> any good feeling just wow. gives you anxiety <laughs> i must be doing something wrong I exactly if i'm not miserable i must be <laughs> sinning <laughs> So he thinks maybe this is like some scary supernatural like devil type thing and he resists it. He tries to not go in that room and when he does he fights against that feeling of comfort but then he gets sick like he's weak he has no appetite he's feverish he can't sleep and so he prays like look Philomena if that is your real name and you really are a martyr like, please give me a sign that you are the real deal. And if you do give me a sign, I will bring your relics back with me to my church and I will place you in a position of honor there and I will tell everybody about you. And he says he feels like instant peace after this prayer. 
And so that night he gets like the best sleep he's ever gotten in his life. So now he has no choice. (laughs) He has to keep that promise. (laughs) And he has to take this dead body back to his church with him. And he tells the Monsignor about this plan. And the Monsignor says, "Mm, now that I think about it, like, I don't know if this is a good idea. And then the Monsignor feels a blow striking him on his leg. And it keeps hitting him this like invisible little fist until he says, fine, like get it out of here. <laughs> Just take it. Imagining Bruce Philomena kicking him in the <laughs> back of the absolutely leg. beating the shit out of this old man. <laughs> right. And she's like short so she can only reach like his thigh. Just like boom. Um, so everybody is freaking out. Um, on the journey, another weird thing happens. They accidentally crashed the carriage in a ditch. (laughs) (laughs) They did not pass their driver's test. Um, It is like demolished, like smashed to pieces. The horses are crushed. Like Colin, my God, (laughs) triple A, eighteen oh two. Yeah. So yeah, one of the riders, like who was like whipping the horses or whatever, I don't know what that's called, but that guy dies. Um, meanwhile, the wooden box containing the relics is completely fine; does not have a single scratch. Then they stop in Naples, and the woman whose house they stay in is cured of, like, a cancerous ulcer on her hand. So, like, shit's weird. Shit's happening that is weird. So, finally, they end up in Munyano. Munyano, sure. And Mm -hmm. they examine these relics more closely. When they empty some of the dried blood from the file into a crystal jug or whatever to examine it, it liquefies. And the priest describes it as like shimmering in all these different colors, like one moment it's red, one moment it's gold. And he says he doesn't have a way of explaining like what this could be. And he leaves it up to the reader to decide what it means. He should have used the scientific method and drank it. (laughs) Just, just, just knocked it back. Just a little bit. Just good taste. (laughs) Mm. So gross. Lovely bouquet. (laughs) love this vintage (laughs) um so he yeah so they displayed this liquefied blood in the church and people start like coming to see it as word gets around like what's the deal with the magic blood um so then more miracles ensue there's a 10 year old crippled boy who regains the ability to walk after attending a mass at this church there's a blind girl who regains her sight there's an eight-year-old boy who is apparently brought back to life um there's a marble altar that gets repaired like it's a lot of shit's going on at one point there's a fire but the statue of Philomena is untouched at one point that statue like starts sweating mysteriously like lots of weird shit it's so weird yeah um and these are all grain of salt because all these things um are according to the priest who had brought the relics there so this is like our only source um but we still don't know who Philomena even was at this point like we don't know if that's really her name like we know nothing about her all like everybody only thinks like oh she's a martyr and that was all they knew about her life for decades until August 3rd 1833 in that same village church 
a Dominican nun named Mother Maria Luisa de Jesu, I think, was praying at the statue of Philomena. She knew that the relics had originally been brought to that church on the date of August 10th, back in 1805, but she was praying and asking to find out the date of Philomena's martyrdom when she had actually died, because that's usually what will become that saint's feast day. So she's praying, eyes closed, and she hears a very soft, gentle voice coming from the direction of the statue. And it says, and I think this is from the nun's diary. I think like she had written it down, but I couldn't find that. So, um, so the voice says, dear sister, August 10th was the day of my rest, my triumph, my birth into heaven, my entering into the possession of such eternal goods as the human mind cannot possibly imagine. That is why my heavenly spouse disposed by his most high decrees that my coming to Munyano should be on the day which had seen my coming to heaven. He prepared so many circumstances which should make my arrival at Munyano glorious and triumphant, giving joy to all the people, even though the priest who brought me had absolutely decided that my translation should take place on the fifth of the month, very quietly in his own house. My spouse impeded him with so many obstacles that the priest, although he did all he could to carry out his plan, could not do so. And so it came about that the said translation was made on the 10th, the day of my feast in heaven. So Mother Maria is like, that's a lot for a statue. <laughs> that is so much. <laughs> She's like, um, that was weird. <laughs> did anybody <suspicious>. else? <laughs> that's weird. Uh, she's like, did anybody else hear that? Um, no, just me. <laughs> just me? Okay. Um, so she's like, did I imagine that? Like she's <clears throat> gaslighting herself, which like I do constantly. Um and then so she's she, like, nope, in fact, I remember it all verbatim. Let me write it down. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> so she tells her confessor about it. And he's like, hmm, that is pretty weird. But I wouldn't like immediately discredit it. So let's see. Let's wait and see if the voice like talks to you again. Um, <laughs> not a lot of like. I just said that. Let's just see if the voice tries to talk to you again. <laughs> Not a lot of mental health support, I would say, <laughs> at this parish. Um, so a few days later, Mother Maria is in her cell praying, and she feels her eyes being closed. Like, it's not a conscious decision. She can't help but close her eyes. And she hears the voice again, very soft, very gentle. And the voice tells her her entire life story. So it's kind of long. So I'm, like, summarizing here and there. But a lot of quotes. And she's like, hold on, let me get a pen. Sorry, <laughs> go back to the beginning. <laughs> Can you talk slower? <laughs> Speak up a little bit, please. <laughs> right. Do you mind if I record this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it begins, quote, I am the daughter of the king of a small Grecian state, and my mother too was of royal blood. As they had no children, my parents continually offered sacrifices and prayers to the gods to obtain a child. We had in our family a doctor, and he was a Christian. He pitied my parents, condescending, and especially he had compassion on my mother and her childlessness. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he spoke to them of our faith and also inspired, made them this promise. If you want a child, be baptized and embrace the religion of Jesus Christ. Grace accompanied his words and enlightened their minds, softened their hearts, and moved them to consent. 
A year later, on January 10th to be exact, I was born and I was called Lumina because I had been conceived and born in the light of the faith to which my parents were truly devoted. And then I was called Philomena, daughter of light, of that light of Christ, which dwelt in my soul by the grace received in baptism. And because of my birth, many families in the kingdom became Christians. Um, so Philomena grows up. She receives the Eucharist for the first time. And when she's only 11, she makes a vow of virginity to Jesus. She's going to marry Jesus. She's one of those. But when she's 13 years old, plans change. Um <laughs> Roman Emperor Diocletian declares war on her father's state. <laughs> Yikes. Um, and her father's like, oh shit, like, we're not going to survive this war. <laughs> Our army is not large enough. We don't have the resources. Um, we're screwed. So he goes to Rome and he brings his wife and daughter and he asks for an audience with the emperor. Let's plead his case. Um, so, quote, while my father pleaded his cause and pointed out the injustice of the war that was made on him, the emperor kept looking at me and finally interrupted my father, saying, do not distress yourself further. Your anxiety is at an end. Be consoled. You shall have all the imperial force for your own protection, if you will but consent to a single condition, namely to give me your daughter Philomena for my wife. He's um, like, sold. Take the bitch. <laughs> Exactly. You got um, it. Her parents are like, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> They're like, <laughs> this will be so great. Like, you will be the empress. Can you imagine? Like, this is best case scenario. Um, quote, but I rejected the offer without a moment's hesitation, saying that I was already betrothed to Jesus Christ. As I'm I married made... to Jesus. <laughs> Dad, I'm married to Jesus. Like, get with the program. Um, my father tried to persuade me that as a child and a daughter, I had no right to dispose of myself, and he used all his authority to make me accept the proposal, but my divine spouse gave me the strength to persevere in my resolution. Then my mother begged me to have pity on my father, on my mother, and on my country. I replied, God is my father, and heaven is my mother." My country can go fuck itself. I'm married the to people Jesus. that gave birth to me. Fuck all the people that are going to be dying because of me. I married Jesus. Exactly. Um, so her parents are like, well, this is awkward. Like, um, we already said yes. <laughs> exactly. They're like, you would rather have the emperor murder your family and destroy your country than become the empress of Rome. She's okay. like, yes, no question. It's <laughs> not hard. Yeah. And the emperor also does not enjoy her refusal of his proposal. Quote, in this tempest of trouble, I was called before the emperor, who at first received me with every kindness and honor to make me give him my promise. But he obtained nothing from me. Seeing me absolutely firm and losing all hope of gaining his desire, he began to threaten me. He could not overcome me. Then, in a fit of fury, raging like a devil, he launched his threat. If you won't have me as a lover, you shall have me as a tyrant. Which is like, wow. this is still the way that men act. Um, Very true. This is like the plot of Cat Person. <laughs> um, I replied, I neither care for you as a lover nor fear you as a tyrant. And again, like 13 years old. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, the emperor, visibly infuriated, ordered me to be shut up in a dungeon under the armory of the imperial palace. Again, same as like St. Margaret, St. Christopher, all those early mm-hmm. martyrs. I was chained hand and foot, fed once a day on bread and water, and he came himself daily to renew his pestering of me. But my heavenly spouse took care of me, and I never ceased to recommend myself to my Jesus and his most pure mother. On the 36th day, there appeared to me the most holy virgin, surrounded by the light of paradise, with her little son in her arms, and she spoke thus to me, Daughter, you will remain three more days in this dungeon, and then on the 40th day of your imprisonment, you will leave this place of sorrow. <laughs> so Philomena's is like, yay, leave the place of sorrow. <laughs> and the Virgin Mary's like, but. <laughs> You're going to die. You're going to be dead. Here's the thing. Love that you're excited. (laughs) (laughs) There are conditions. (laughs) Yeah. She says, when you leave it, you will be exposed to a great battle of atrocious torments. (laughs) Oh my God. Just a small thing. (laughs) Just minor detail. Minor, minor, minor. (laughs) Um, Thereupon I trembled and saw myself in the anguish of death, but the heavenly queen gave me courage saying thus, and I wasn't going to put this in, but I really like the way it sounds. So I'm like, whatever. Um, My daughter, you are dearer to me than others because you have my name and the name of my son. You are called Lumina and my son is called Light, Sun and Star and I am called Dawn, Star and Moon. I will be your helper. Now is the hour of human weakness, which humbles you, but there will come the fortitude of grace, which will assist you. And you shall have, beside the angel who guards you, the protection of the archangel St. Gabriel, whose name signifies the strength of God. This archangel was my protector on earth, and I will send him to help you as my daughter, beloved among the daughters. Um, So Philomena's like, cool beans, that is a relief. Um, Now I'm good to go, not worried about it anymore. Very trusting, this child. (laughs) (laughs) This, like, hallucination (laughs) in her prison cell. You're gonna lend me an angel? Cool. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Nice. Down to be tortured? (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) She is good to go. Um, She's eaten, like, a loaf of bread in the last month. Like, she's fine. So, at last, after 40 days, the emperor is like, okay, that didn't work. Now our only option is torture. Of course. Um, He has Philomena brought out of prison and bound naked to a pillar in front of all his soldiers and officers, and he has her beaten. Then seeing that though my body was covered with wounds and blood, and though life hardly remained in me, I was constant in my word, he ordered me to be taken back to prison to die. There I waited, forsaken till death should take me to repose in the presence of my spouse, when two angels appeared, anointed me, and healed me. So the next morning, the emperor goes to see, like, oh, like, she must be dead. Like, let's drag her corpse out of here. And is like, oh, my God, how special. Like, the god Jove must have healed you so that you can be my wife. And the text is a little, like, euphemistic here. It mentions the emperor's impure caresses and ardent affection. Um Reading between the lines, I would say at the very least, he's like groping her um, and probably he's attempting to rape her. And she manages to resist that, she says, with the help of the Holy Spirit. And when she resists and she tells him, no, it wasn't Job, it was God who healed her. Quote, he displayed the greatest scorn and snarling like a lion ordered that an anchor of iron should be fastened to my neck and I should be thrown immediately into the Tiber 
and that's so I and my memory should perish. So they put this anchor around her neck and they throw her into the Tiber. <laughs> but she says that two, these two angels break the cord around her neck and she survives. Quote, the tyrant in furious despair shouted that it was all done by magic and more obstinate than Pharaoh ordered me to be dragged through the whole of Rome and then shot at with arrows. When he saw me pierced with these shafts, swooning and dying, he cruelly had me thrown again into prison so that I might die forsaken and without any comfort. In the morning, expecting to find me dead, he was stupefied to find me rosy and well, singing psalms in praise of God, for in the night the Omnipotent One had given me a sweet sleep, and my body had been anointed by an angel with a fragrant ointment, so that he found me healed and more beautiful than before. <laughs> this is like her skincare routine. <laughs> it's complicated. Lots of steps. Um, so now the emperor orders her to be shot again with more arrows. Um, but these arrows turn back on the archers and kill six of them. Um, and the emperor is like, this is witchcraft. She is a witch, so we need to burn her. But that doesn't work either. So he finally orders her to be beheaded. And sh that's how she actually dies, is being beheaded. Um, and she says, and so my soul fled all triumphant and glorious to heaven to receive from my spouse the crown of virginity, which had cost me so much, and which remained with so many palms of victory, sufficient ornament in which to appear before him. This happened on the 10th day of August, which was a Friday, at the hour which the Italians call 19 and a half, which is half past three in the afternoon. So again, we see that a martyr has the exact same like day of the week and time of death as Jesus did on Good Friday. Therefore, as I have told you, the Most High caused my translation to take place on this day with so many signs of heavenly assistance that the glory of it might be shown forth. So that was a lot to hear in a vision. <laughs> um, so Mother Maria is like, wow, like that was crazy. And her confessor is like, we need to tell Rome like right away. And the Holy Office declares that there's nothing contrary to the faith and anything she was told by that voice. So they pretty much say like, yeah, this could be legit. Um, and her account is published. Upon publication, popular views of Philomena really diverge into two camps. On one hand, there's this widespread devotion to her, like, oh my God, if this is true, like, this is an amazing story. There's pilgrimages to her shrine, more miraculous healings happen. There's like a second wave of them. She's canonized. Um, something called the Arch Confraternity of St. Philomena is founded to spread awareness about her. Um, on the other hand, <laughs> a critical study of all these works, like the priest's account of those early miracles and Mother Maria's diary, lead to some scholars declaring that there's not really much hard evidence that proves that this stuff really happened. So maybe we shouldn't be giving her all this attention and reverence. Um, so like I said before, this is a pretty controversial saint. For that reason, the lack of evidence, she was removed from the liturgical calendar in the 1960s, like St. Christopher. But the church does still recognize her as a saint, technically. She's the patroness of infants, children, virginity, and lost causes. Images of her usually depict her holding a lily or a palm, um, sometimes wearing a crown of flowers sometimes holding an anchor, and sometimes with a slit throat. And that is 
St. Philomena. That was wild. <laughs> it's a weird wild. story. It's, it's super a weird. A lot of those early ones especially go through the absolute most, I feel like. <laughs> yes. yes. I would agree. Yeah, at the hands of like these Roman emperors, which like is very clearly propaganda propaganda yes, to be like yeah. look at these pagans and all the shit they do to mistreat like christians which and they how do. these christians <laughs> persevere and are magically healed over and over, and over because yeah. the power of god is just so much better yes. <laughs> right exactly which like i mean romans did kill a lot of christians yes. yeah it is it's fair it's fair <laughs> But like then we did it back to them, yeah. <laughs> so you it's all tag kind your of... head. <laughs> <laughs> it's your turn to be a mass murderer. Exactly, just like Catholics and Protestants. Yeah, it all comes oh, out yeah. in the wash. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they were fun stories, though, and yeah. I think that's one of the reasons that they survive so long. I mean, they're mm-hmm. so old and they survive with so many details is that they're just so much fun to tell. Yes. Yeah. And I'm sure like details get added and subtracted here and there, <laughs> you know, like a game of telephone, like, yes. oh, well, I thought she had an anchor around her neck. Like, oh, well, I thought she was burned at the stake. It's like, well. Yeah. They're very easy to like blow up and like sensationalize and add on to. So. Yeah. Same with like witch trials too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so hard sometimes to like get down to the facts and then you find out that like everything you read on Wikipedia and on all these blogs is complete bullshit. And it's like, how the fuck did we get here <laughs> from here if this is all we have? Yeah. People so. people do love embellishing stories. They do. You know? Yeah. And Philomena's case, there's, you've got yeah. some bones and they're like, and here, here you go. And now <laughs> we have a sweaty statue. We're not sure where that came from, but that it's sweaty. Statue do be sweating. It's probably just like super humid in Italy at that yeah. time and of it, year. Like the statue was like cold or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how like physics or chemistry works, but I try not to think about it. It makes my brain hurt. Mm hmm. Yeah, sweaty statue, golden shower. Fancy hole. <laughs> Just forgot hey, about hey, it. You put priest holes on the show. I can this put fancy holes okay, on the show. But you were the one who said that that had to be the title. I did. <laughs> oh, no. Um, thank you for being on the show, Hannah. Thank you for having me. And it was nice meeting you. Yeah, it was really nice to meet you. I've heard thank so you. much about you same <laughs> all uh, good things all good things mm, doubt it <laughs> Liz is like she is a drunk <laughs> um do we have any announcements I had an we announcement we have new listeners didn't we and we do hmm. you told me Sweden Sweden, Sweden? yeah remember we told Norway to tell Sweden to listen to yeah. the podcast <laughs> <laughs> thank you <They> Norway. <laughs> thank you Vikings Thank you so much. We love new listeners all over the place. Yeah, I think, well, so obviously our highest percentage is in the United States, which we obviously never talk about because we don't, <laughs> like we live here, like it's not <laughs> yeah. that it's special. Not to talk about where you live. You know? <laughs> right. But our biggest, like, listener base is actually not even in Illinois. It's in Minnesota. <laughs> Minnesota that's yeah. so specific yeah. what are y'all doing Minneapolis <laughs> they're, they're really bored 
you know what is there to do in minnesota nothing (laughs) um i've been there there's nothing some kind of lake activities there are many many lakes in minnesota apparently they have lakes in our podcast good for them yep yeah truly love that journey (laughs) for them (laughs) what else oh people know how to get a hold of us yeah they know you know if you want to request something holler at us expect more guests in the future at some point we we have a very finite amount of friends but they'll all be here (laughs) yeah and the circle grows smaller every day (laughs) closer i get to 30 the fewer friends i have um we'll put things up on instagram who knows bunch of pictures sweaty statue sweaty statue yeah and we will see you next time thanks be to god blessed be